Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for downloading this Intelligence Squared podcast. For more information on our debates, talks and discussions, visit intelligencesquared.com and sign up to the newsletter. It was 60 years ago that you left Trinidad and went as an undergraduate to Oxford. It was 50 years ago that you wrote The House of Mr. Biswas. It was 40 years ago that you won the Booker Prize. Mm -hmm. 30 years ago... You stirred up controversy, thought, and your search for what Islam was about in Among the Believers. 20 years ago, you were knighted. 10 years ago, there was a Nobel Prize. And now you're here. (laughs) What a journey. (laughs) But I want to take you back to those early days, first of all. Mm. those island days when there was a little boy aged 11 who had a bit of a vision of what he wanted to do. Can you tell us a little bit about that seed of aspiration and ambition? Well, it's very simple and it's rather... I hope it doesn't let me down too much. I wanted to be a writer in order to get my name on the back of a book. And I wanted to do that in order to become famous. So it, it I wish to be a writer to become famous. It worked. <laughs> yes, I'm lucky. I'm lucky it needn't have worked, you know. I remember in 1954 getting quite despondent because at that stage I had not written anything, although I'd been trying. Uh, And I thought I'd never get started. And the thing about writing is that unless you get started, you can't go on. Uh, You you can't just have a wish and then the books appear. Books are very difficult physical objects. They have to be uh, created bit by bit, page by page. So the answer to your question is, I wanted to become famous, and this was the way I saw of doing it. But the difference between someone saying that today and now and then is you knew that it was going to be not instant, and you knew there was going to be a search for what was going to be a voice and a language. Can you tell me a little bit about that challenge and how easy or difficult it was? 
it wasn't easy at all, uh, because one had to learn to write, you see. What, what does that mean? I could, I could write essays at school, and even at the university I could write essays. But then I knew that this is not really writing. Writing had another feel to it, real writing. And I wished to get there. And that took some doing. Uh, I, had to, I had to forget everything I had learned, forget what I knew of a literary skill, and uh, do my own kind of writing. Writing which should have authority in the sentence and in the words. Uh, and I spent a lot of time looking for that authority. What was the process of that? Was that writing and rewriting? Was that searching for a, a formula of narrative? No, it wasn't writing and rewriting. My father did that, and that brute labor he thought was labor. Uh, but he was wrong. Rewriting and rewriting is not learning. Uh, rewriting, he took it as kind of another way of typing, you know? Mm. You typed it, and you typed it, and you typed it. Uh, and can you sense that difference when you're not just typing, but actually it is, I suppose, the words in literature? With my own work, yes. I know, I know, I know. One of the points I tried to make yesterday at Hay was that uh, I don't know whether I got so far because it's all a hazy in my head now. That uh, uh, the best writing is where you say more than one thing in the same space. Uh, you say two things, you say three things. And that always, to me, is very, very exciting. But then I know I'm on the road. I, it's, it's going to be all right. Uh, otherwise, it's very flat. A flat statement of fact without this additional excitement of other meanings attaching themselves to that statement. Uh, no, I wouldn't like that. I wouldn't like that. So I know that from that. And then there is a sense, you know. There is a sense, you know, that what you're writing has engaged you, has come out nicely, and will be all right. You feel it, you feel it. It's very hard to explain it or define it. I think you have to leave it as a, something almost mystical. And is it important to have someone else read it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I depended very much on people reading my work when I was beginning to learn. I had people... I worked with at the BBC who could help me. Later I had friends 
who could uh, do the same thing. And then still later, I had a publisher's reader on whom I depended. Uh, I want to take you back, Lydia, to... We've been through some of the high points, the numbers of your life. Yes. But it, it's, it's not as simple as numbers, is it? it if, you want to, if I take you back to um, the 1950s, yes. to Oxford... Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about the difficulties you had to start as, as, a, as, a, as a writer? Uh, yes. Well, you could imagine you come to Oxford with the hope of being a writer, eventually. And the years that go by, or certainly three years go by, and nothing is happening. And from time to time, you sit down at a table and you say, I'm going to write today. It's so artificial. One has to overcome that feeling of artificiality. It's a terrible, terribly depressing uh, sensation of not knowing how to, how to move. But it, it exacerbated, I imagine, by very little money as well. Not really, because to me, you see, the most important thing in the world was the writing. Nothing else mattered. But you were on a potato diet at some stage. I mean, it was, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it wasn't easy. The conditions around this search, or did that not matter at all? It didn't matter. It didn't matter. It doesn't. It's not meant to be heroic. It's just meant to be what it was like. Because I was, I was always a dedicated person. I had a feeling of vocation. And part of my grief when nothing was happening was that the vocation appeared to be a dud, you know? Uh, and then it, it remains true for me that it is a vocation. Uh, and that labor of getting started remains very, very... Um, difficult and real in my mind. Uh, I made a, a number of little discoveries about, about writing. I discovered absurd as it may appear now, that uh, 16th century Castilian was quite close to me, and I should write in that way. That should help me. And it did help me. Uh, so that was one thing I discovered. I discovered other things as well. I tried to do direct, simple sentences, very pictorial. It's very important to me, the pictorialness of my sentences. And uh, when I read my early work now, little pieces, that comes out to me, and I'm very pleased that I was so pictorial in those early days. But when you, when you look back at the canon which is now published and available and there forever, again, I keep thinking back to that moment in, in the late 50s 
when there was a moment when you thought, actually, I can't go on. Can I take you, I just want to briefly come to that moment when, I mean, thank goodness, mm -hmm. in some ways, penury saved your life as the money in the gas meter <laughs> ran out and you lived. Yes, 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 yes. What yes. drove you to that moment of thinking it might be better not to live? Well, that is the kind of breakdown. And it's a great shame to break down. One is not proud of breaking down. One doesn't want to break down. Uh, but I did break down then, and I, I had a little breakdown in 1954 when I left Oxford, had no money, I think six pounds or so. And uh, fortunately, fortunately, had a cousin who was studying law, and he was able to put me up in rather poor conditions. But that helped me. Uh, but still, I had this thing about not knowing what to do, how to move on. Uh, not knowing what to do. You know, that remains the panic of the writer, because even after you've, you've done the hard work and you've written a book or two, you've got to write another, and then another, and another, and another. So it goes on. Uh, that vulnerability seems to... It doesn't, it doesn't, go, it doesn't away. go away. It doesn't go but away. It, but it almost seems difficult to imagine as the reader that vulnerability when there is such conviction in your search, not just for details, but for direction and quest. I think that is part of the beauty of conviction. It can sweep people along, and they think the man is stronger than he actually is. And people thought that for a long time. They are very strong. In fact, as weak as water. Uh, there we are, there we are, there we are. And it's interesting for me that having made that big, long, momentous journey to Oxford, which was the sort of beginning yes. of your launch pad yes. as, 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 as a writer, always you were going to go on other journeys to Africa, to yes. India, to Pakistan. Yes. Yes. Was, that, was that restless state always, always there? No, no, no. That came from, from the act of writing. You finish your material, and you don't know what to do, and the idea of going to another country is always attractive at that stage. Uh, so it begins like that. There is no, there's no further mystical side to it. And what happens is that the writing itself, because of the pressures which are creating it, becomes profounder. Even the, 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 the travel writing, the writing about places. And did you always think that there was a the likelihood 
of trying to find a truth in the places and the beliefs which you went in quest of was going to be controversial? No, no, that had no, never any wish to be controversial. I just wanted to, as it were, note what I saw and let it, and let it be. Uh, is, is there an element where um, a search and a, an answer for truth is always going to be controversial? Then? No, I never wish to be controversial. Uh, that came much later. It is with me even now when I write a book and I feel it's, it's going to irritate a lot of people. Uh, I think that, that gives me a sense of being, being alive, you know? Because mm. <laughs> I remember when we, when we talked when The Mask of Africa came out, you said, I hope it won't stir up trouble. <laughs> I'm not sure I believed you, Lydia. Well, I did. I thought it was such a harmless little book, so nice. It couldn't possibly offend people, but it, you know, it did offend about five or six people. And uh, I'm very sorry about that, but there's nothing I could do about it. The book will survive them and survive their displeasure. With, with searches in, in different countries, do you, do you always start with a, um, an idea of what you might find? Like when, no. you went, when you went back to Africa this time? No, were you, no. Were you expecting <coughs> the change to be the interesting thing, or was, is it, was it merely to get stimuli? No, I wasn't going back to Africa this time. What I was doing, I had been to a few places in Africa. What I deliberately restricted myself. I wanted not to write about politics or the economic situation. I wanted to write about a belief. Uh, and so that gave the book a kind of newness. Uh, and is, is, was the colonial history as interesting or as relevant as the belief? I mean, you've been described as Conrad's heir, as the analyst, um, as in telling of the analyst. Yes of empires in the moral sense. Is there a generally a quest for a, mo for a moral purpose in where, where are the people and the places you're going to? Or does that come through the It narrative? isn't a quest, I think it comes out. Hmm. It comes out in what I, what I write. It comes out this, the, the morality of, of the writing. Uh, I think one has to have that. One has to have uh, that strong moral feeling. And does that sense of search ever, ever leave you when you're there? Or the... I don't know. I don't know whether it comes with the writing or whether it, uh, it's always there. Uh, probably the writing is what sharpens it all. And do, do thoughts of your, of your father, who was um, this, a journalist yeah. in Trinidad, who didn't succeed as much as he would have liked to have done as a writer, mm -hmm. but yet who you've always said you owe a great debt to? Yes. Does yeah, that... Yeah. I mean, he's been 
dead a long time, half a century yeah, a long more, time, half yeah. a century more. Mm. Does he still figure as a presence in your mind? I think about it, yes. I remember you showing me a, a photograph of him yes, in your yes. house. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, recently. Yes, yes, yes. Why had you suddenly delved that out? Why did I suddenly? Why did you suddenly find that was something which was moving for you to have as, as, as quite a central part of your house? I think it's just sentimental, really. Just sentimental. Uh, the thing is, my father, I tried to tell this to the people yesterday. I don't know how far I succeeded. Uh, I could see my father's failure as a writer much more clearly now. When I was younger, when I was a child almost, and he was writing, I adored every word he wrote. I adored everything he did. Uh, but then now, you know, I see that uh, he was too poetic. He missed a lot of material around him. He could have written about his childhood. He could have written about the jobs he had done as a young man. He could have written much more. <coughs> that would have been more interesting for him and for the world. But he was doing a kind of, I feel, a kind of good earth, Wang Lang, Pearl Buck sort of style. Which wasn't really, it wasn't really profound, and all that labour, all that labour, that physical labour, as it were, going to waste, is very painful to contemplate. Mm. So in that way, I have altered my attitude to him. It doesn't mean I, uh, I reject him. Do you think the I always think when you've given interviews to biographers or to, to journalists in the past, sometimes the truth has caused you some pain in some of the things you've said and some, some of you've regretted, not because they weren't true, but because some things maybe don't survive in an open public space but when they're private. Do you think you almost can't stop yourself with, with the truth, that sense of trying to express it if someone asks something? Well, I feel there's no point in saying half things. If anything to make sense has to be a full statement. So I try to make a full statement, and I leave it to the people I'm talking to to work out the truth of what I'm saying. Of course, it doesn't always work, because you get people who are rather, rather second-rate. And, uh, you know, it's terrible to treat as equals people who are second-rate. 
It gets one into an awful lot of trouble. Are you thinking of, are you thinking of anyone in particular? Hmm? Are you thinking of anyone in particular? No, I'm leaving it up in the air. Because <laughs> yeah, no. there was quite a, um, an interesting reacquaintance at Hay. Yeah. Um, I think many of us who have read the papers saw there was a, a shaking of hands with... Yes, with, yes, yes. With Paul My Theroux. old friend Paul Theroux, yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that was a very you? moving moment for me. Because, you know, there's been this great uh, feud prosecuted with great vigor by Paul, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> Not by me, because I've always been slightly retiring and shy in these matters. Uh, and someone whom I didn't recognize came to me and shook my hands at Hay when we were gathering in the, I think it's called the Green Room? The Green Room, The yeah. Green Room. Uh, and then he gave his name. That was a great courtesy. Because, you know, we don't keep the same face right through. Th th this was Paul Theroux. Paul, yes. He gave That's his name. If he hadn't done that, I would have wondered, who is this person? Yeah. Who's shaking my hand? Oh. Uh, but then he said his name, and, and instinctively I said, Well, I'm glad we put an end to all this nonsense. Because I shook his hand back. I was very glad to have done that. Uh, and then he said, Now, Paul is a master of saying difficult things in a very arresting way. He said, I've missed you. And Nadira next to me said, we've missed you too. So it was a happy moment. It was a happy moment. Was, it, was, it, was that the whole truth? <laughs> of the moment? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because it, the what happened, lots of photographs then occurred yeah. and things changed. But it was... Uh, it was a good moment. I was very pleased. Because you don't like feuds, do you? No, no, no. I'm not a feud man. No, 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 no. Even though no. you've had a number of feuds? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't like them. I don't like yeah. them. Waste of energy. Yeah. Do you think with some of the um, controversies which have been stirred up, people haven't understood the humorous position which you sometimes quite subtly take? No. No, they don't. I'm making a lot of jokes all the time. Uh, and I wonder why, because the jokes to me are so obvious. <laughs> but uh, they would like jokes to be uh, very broad. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, 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 I don't like feuds, and I'm, I'm full of jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one reason what I meant with Paul, you see, when he came yesterday. Paul was a great humorist. Was. He made wonderful jokes, yes. Was, always. Yes, when I met him in Africa yeah. in 1966, his jokes were fabulous. Mm -hmm. 
And I always remember them, still remember them. Uh, whether he makes nice jokes now, I don't know. You don't read his books? No, I haven't come across them no. recently. No. No. But but sounds, uh, as you say, it sounds like a, um, a happy moment. A happier happy, moment. Happier, happier moment. moment. Happier yeah. moment, yes. Yes, yes. When a Nobel Prize comes along, yes. does that alter everything about your life publicly? Not at all. No. Not at all. Not at all. I don't see how it can, because uh, one still has to do one's work. And if one is dry and exhausted, then the work is as hard as it was before. And the prize doesn't, doesn't really help you. I don't know what the prize does. The prize gives you a, a kind of solidity. It gives you a sense that you can do it. But it isn't more than that. It isn't more than that. It's a lovely recognition. I wouldn't have done without it. Uh, Good chance to be in white tie and tails in Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. What trouble that gave me. <laughs> what, the, uh, the, the all, all the tails and the <laughs> yes and all the ties, yes, yes, yes. They had, I had people <laughs> tying it up for me all the time. And there was a publisher who went with me to this occasion. And he was having greater trouble than I was. And every time he stretched or moved, something burst somewhere, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so there was that, there was that. But what was, what was uh, strange about that occasion was that I was asked uh, to make a funny speech after the ceremony. The ceremony. And I said, of course I'll make a funny speech. And then they came back, people from the Swedish Foreign Office, and they said, that's not enough. You'll have to write it. So I said, no, I wanted to just speak it on the spur of the moment. And they said, well, you, we wouldn't be able to translate that for our, our viewers. So I had to do all of that writing. And I think this was the writing that finally exhausted me in <laughs> Stockholm. Because uh, when I came back home, I went to the supermarket, came back, and literally just collapsed out of exhaustion. And I think it was writing that piece, a short, funny piece. About breaking your watch strap. <laughs> the yes. watch strap, the watch strap joke, yes, it, yes, it, yes. It, it's a YouTube sensation. <laughs> well, really? Yeah, yeah, it's on, it's... <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. Does ambition still hold at the centre of, of, of your endeavour? It's a very good question. Ambition mattered to me immensely when I was younger. I wonder, at this stage, with all these books Picador bringing out, their reissue, 
whether I can still say I'm ambitious. There are certain things I want to do, but probably I won't do them now. Probably it's all too far from me now. Uh, what sort of things, William? You know, I wish I'd had a bit of the dramatic talent. By that I mean to, to write a stage play, to write a screenplay. I would have liked to extend, extend myself in these directions. But I haven't been able to. I don't know whether that can be called ambition or whether that can be called uh, vanity. I don't know. I don't know. But I still have that wish. But probably it's... Uh, probably I wouldn't do it. But within, this, within the ambition, there was always an incredible seriousness, wasn't there? I mean, certainly there were comedies yes. in, as, a, as a way of showing that seriousness. Yes. But it was an incredibly serious vision of looking at belief, identity. Yes, um, yes, yes. And how the human mind and body works in, in, in difficult situations from reporting in Iran to look in, in your fiction. Yes. In trying, yes. To, trying to find yes. sense in a place. Yes, my writing has always been very serious in that way. Not being, not meaning morose or without jokes, but uh, profound. I've aimed at profundity, and that's why I always try to get the whole picture rather than a piece of the picture. Can I just bring you back to it? Because I'm very interested in the in the process of how you raise plain words into something which are beyond the words isolated into something which is collectively literature and the difficulty of doing that. Well, I told you about discovering Castilian writing. Uh, then... I have to say that uh, this wish for a sentence to do more than one thing is also very important. But I didn't know that I was doing that. That knowledge about sentences doing more than one thing or paragraph doing more than two things came later. But was it painful, that process of trying to find that? And was it, was it a sense of fear of failure which drove you on? What, 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 what made you not let yourself write ordinary sentences? Because I wasn't content with them. Uh, because I uh, had another idea of what writing was, and I was seeking to get there. Uh, and if you wrote as though you were an undergraduate, you could, it would be sensible, it would be logical, it would be pretty, it would be everything, but it wouldn't be writing such as might be taken out of a real book. And do you recognise that huge difference between what you'd call real writing yes. and just plain words, yes. even yes. amongst the canon of past writers? Even among me? Like the past, past writers who people... Call the classics. I mean, you, you, you know, you, in the past, you just you, 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 
you've dismissed Jane Austen as as someone who's yes, yes, um, yes. of no consequence to you and of was plainly dull to you. Yes. Is that she her? was dull because uh, I couldn't possibly share her her sentimental ambitions, her sentimental sense of the world. Uh, How would you describe her writing? Her world? Her writing, or, or her world. It's too bizarre. Uh, you know, these people come together and uh, one of the women falls in love immediately with X, Y, or Z. And that's a lot of narrative hangs on that. You know, you know one can't take that seriously. So it's a sort of candy floss. <laughs> exactly, one can't. Yet I know that some people would like it. Uh, and I must be careful. I don't want to run down people's taste. Everyone has his own, uh, his own ideas. Uh, But it can't be my, it can't be my taste. It can't be my taste. Uh, because it's a, merely a drawing room comedy of manners, which is inconsequential, or is it, what was the, what, what, what actually sticks in your craw with her? It's the drawing room comedy. It's the drawing room comedy. It's this absurd idea of, uh, people falling in love just like that and then the whole book hangs on, hangs on, hangs on that. Uh, it's not interesting to me. Do you know what it is which makes things interesting for you? Is, 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 it, is it a, you know, we've talked about this word, <coughs> search or quest. Does there have to be a, um, some sort of journey in the book or in the author's um, Modus operandi. I don't know. We must. We mustn't make too much of this mystical thing about the quest or the journey. You have a lot of people talking about travel writing in this mystical way these days, which may not be a wise thing or a true thing. Will you root your, because your, The Mask of Africa, your newest book, is a journey in search, it is a journey. In search of belief. It is a journey. But it's also grounded in cats being murdered and entrails being looked at and all sorts of yes. Um, yes. very graphic, real, yes, yes, yes. bloodied things. Yes. That is because I was interested in the nature of African belief. I thought it would take me back to the very beginning of events, beginning of belief, beginning of things. But I didn't, it didn't do that, really. It, uh, it stopped with this kind of... Uh, stop with simple magic. Not too interesting for me. So it was, a, it was a journey in that way, a bad journey, a poor journey, an inconclusive journey. With some high points, I mean, in the forest, 
It was oh, amazing yes. for us, where you oh, could yes, feel yes. the sort of mystical connection. Yes, 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 yes. But in yes. the end, Africa disappointed. In the end, it did. Yes, yeah. in the end, it did. Yes. And do yes. you think that's a a statement on the state of that continent? Is it? No, it's just a private statement. I wouldn't like it to be considered as a, a definitive comment on, on that enormous place. No, no, I wouldn't. Uh, it is just my own... Because that was the perception of some of the reviewers who wanted to maybe pigeonhole you into the controversialist. Yes, yes, again. yes, yes. I don't know what one is to do about these reviewers, really. <laughs> uh, as I said, told you some time ago, it's such a sweet and gentle book. Uh, it shouldn't have offended anybody. There's nothing to be offended in it. But they found things to offend them. They said absurd things that I had no African friends. How can I have friends without going there? I've got to go there. I'm not a magician. Uh, I rather like the um, interaction between all the interpreters and drivers, as well as the uh, yes, quest yes. for yes, yes, yes. Um, the priests and yes, all, yes. all the... Yes, yes. The peripheral things, yeah. yes, yes. The yes, sense yes. of a journey. Yes, yes. Yes. Which actually you, you've always done, haven't you? You've always, I've always you, done you, that. You haven't hidden the... I've always done that. Yeah. And what I do, or used to, I would... Uh, I would talk to people. And uh, if I got on with them and felt that what they were saying was interesting, I would tell them, I'd like to come and talk to you more seriously and make some notes. And usually they said they'd be very happy. And I'd go and talk to them and make notes. And when I was making the notes, I would write down all that lay around us. So the book or that passage of it had a reality, uh, a special reality. These are little tricks of the, of the writer's craft. Mm which you learn. There's so many of these tricks, you can't possibly state them all. <laughs> <laughs> and do you, are you a great note-taker, or is your, is your memory...? Your... No, I have to take notes. Yeah. I have to take notes. <coughs> and uh, latterly, Nadra has been there taking it down for me, because I can't write any longer. You... Fifty years of writing, uh, something has happened to my wrist. Uh, I, almost like Henry James, you know, breaking down. <laughs> Not James, of course. <laughs> but you managed to find other ways of getting words yes, onto paper. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I mean Nada presents me the text. You, which you've dictated. To I dictated very quickly. Yeah. The, before it cools yeah. off. And you've become rather addicted to this way mm -hmm. of... You've, you've become to rather like this way of... I rather like dictation now, yeah. yes. Yes, yes. I write because it's, it simplifies the process of writing. Instead of 
girding up your energies to write two or three sentences. Uh, you just speak it. Like, like a fugue. Either you speak it and, it, and in half an hour you can do an awful lot of work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a simplification of, of life. And are you working on, on, a, on a, a new book at the moment? No, no, no. Between no. books? That's a kind way of saying that I'm idling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure you know the meaning of the word in terms of practising it. No. Yeah. Um, I probably, I probably, I would like to do some more, but I have to wait until it comes to me. You know, I can't just, as when I was 20 or 21, sit down and say, no, I'm going to write. It doesn't work like that at this age. I have to wait until the whole book comes to me or something comes to me. Because it is the central thread of your life, this ability to produce something on paper, isn't it? Yes, yes, I mean, yes. A, I mean I'm yes. sure that I'm imagining if there's, that's not going on, there's a bit of a vacuum going on. Yes, it's, it's a kind of depression, actually. Yeah. But I've got a, a new agent who's really a rather marvellous man, uh, Andrew, Andrew Wiley, he, and uh, he encouraged me to write these prefaces for the Picador reissue of my books. Uh, and that's been a kind of writing which has been more taxing than I thought. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah. I've nearly come to the end of it, but it's been very challenging. Uh, I suspect he'll be asking you for another book. (laughs) They might do, they might do that, yes, 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 yes. Do you have any ideas at all what what you might... What might come out? Might might you travel again in order to... I don't want to travel again, I don't want to travel again. Because of the the tiredness of it? Yes, 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 yes. I would like to look into myself and produce some kind of comedy. That is my wish. That's my wish. Whether it can be done is another matter. What bit of yourself would you be looking into? Oh, the adult self, not the child self. Yeah. The adult self. So is this the comedy of the... Of the Winter of mankind, or is this the? This the... It's too too grand what you've just said. It will just be the comedy of uh, of uh, a man probably growing older. Yeah, hmm? might just be that. Hmm. Is that is that a comic state or a tragic state? I think one can make it both ways. Hmm. That'd be rather nice to do the two things in one. Yeah. <laughs> Vidya, what I'm going to do, I'm going to open up, if that's all right with you, to see if there are uh, any other questions from, from the audience who I know have okay. come from far and wide to, to hear you. And actually, we have a quick question straight away. Can you, can you speak right up? Can you speak nice and loudly? It'd be great. There's a, mic- there's a microphone just coming. 
I read with interest um, one of your earlier books, An Area of Darkness, which is on your observations on India. What are your current thoughts on that area today? What, um, what are your current thoughts on India today, um, having after, yes. after you, yes. your previous books yes. of yes. India? Well, they're all contained. My thoughts are contained in the three big books I've written about India, because they represent, they don't represent things that have been superseded, they represent aspects of the India I've looked at, and they're still valid, actually. And it's somewhere you, you go pretty frequently, isn't it, in India? Yeah, but still. I haven't been for some time. No. Anybody else? And you ask such a big question, what are your thoughts about India? Then the next, what are your thoughts about China? What are your thoughts about Russia? It doesn't end, it's too big, it's too big. Question right at the back. Yep. Um, Savidya, why do you think you've had this um, talent to uh, annoy the uh, bien-pensant, sort of progressive or sort of left intelligentsia over the course of your lifetime? Is it, is it because uh, this uh, ability you have or this determination you have to tell things as, as they are? Why, why do you have this ability to annoy the bien-pensant or the, um, the leftish intelligentsia? Is it because you have an unerring ability to tell it as it is? You know, that question shouldn't be put to me. <laughs> it should be put to the people you're talking about, the left-wing intelligentsia. You could ask them, why is it irritating to you? What, what is your view of the world? What is your... Why are you so happy with things as they are? Because that's the essence of it, isn't it? Do, do you, <laughs> it is. I, I mean, do, do, do you think there's a particular sort of critic who will inevitably try to find um, something which is, they would deem politi politically incorrectly impossible, which you'd merely see as a truth? I don't know how you deal with some of these people. Uh, I went to America in 1981 for the Islamic book, Among the Believers, and a university there, and I mentioned the people who were next to me, what I had been told in Tehran by left-wing left -wing students. And they had told me this, that many of the people who died during the riots against the Shah had died because when they were wounded, people ran to them from the crowd to dip their hands in the blood, to hold up the hands, saying, this is the blood of a martyr. And by, they damaged the, uh, the people, and they had to kill them. I said this, and the people I was talking to laughed it out of court. You know, this couldn't be true. But it was true, in fact. It was true. 
And when, when you're, what you've seen blatantly with your eyes is dismissed as an untruth. Yes, yes, yes. Is that painful, hurtful? Or Not now. No. I expect it now. Yeah. I expect it now. Got a question right at the back. Um, you were one of a, a generation of Caribbean writers who came to the UK in the 1950s, people like George Lamming, Sam Selvin, etc. But for the most part, their work has been forgotten outside of academic circles. What do you think it is that set you apart from, from your peers at that time? Okay. Um, what, you came to the UK at the same time as other authors... Sorry, I couldn't get the name you said. Uh, other, authors. other authors. What's your magic, Lydia, he's saying, which has made you survive as a great author? Work. It helps. The other chaps just did their one book, invariably about their experiences or their life, and then they were corked up, to use a Mark Twain <laughs> phrase. You know, I think that was it. Um, yes, over there. Um, I just wanted to pick up on what the gentleman there was saying. Um, there are other Caribbean writers like Edgar Middleholzer, who wrote around about 23 novels during the 1950s, Sam Selvon. Um, and I was just curious um, if he could say a bit more as to why he has stood out from the crowd. And also, I was just interested in, in what it must have been like writing in the 1950s, given um, the sort of unwelcome climate you know, okay. I was reading reviews of people saying, um, you know, isn't it time to kill off Fee, Selvon, Middleholzer? You know, as in killing off all the Caribbean writers at the time. Okay, the, well, the first question was similar to what, why have you survived so well with your reputation compared to other writers? Um, and, the, and the other, other bit, can you just repeat the other bit? Is, is the... I was just interested in, in what it was like um, writing during the 1950s climate. Sorry. Sorry, that's right. What, what was it like, the climate of acceptability as a writer uh, from the Caribbean in the 1950s? Was the prejudice, I think, is the, is the inference. Was the difficulty in getting accepted as a, as a legitimate voice um, on radio as an author with publishers? I, it, in one way, it's quite easy to get published. And then in another way, it's very hard to to get the critical acceptance. Uh, my first book was dismissed by a reviewer, should have been better, uh, as a West Indian savory, hmm. meaning that in a way I had laughed it off. And I had, as it were, labored on it, like the other people in that week's fiction column. So there was that, there was that, which you have to... But I expected that. Why should a new kind of writing, a new writer, be immediately accepted? He'll have to make his way, too. He'll have to force his way in. Uh, so that was all right. It was all right to me. 
Yes, just here. You uh, emphasized your ambition as a little boy, and then I thought secondarily, perhaps, that you thought of writing, perhaps, because your father was a journalist. Were there any possible careers, and perhaps when you came across crises in your early time, Oxford and so on, were there any alternative careers that might have vied for your attention? Were there alternative careers? I don't think so. I could have uh, nothing like a career. I could have become a clerk in the government. I could have become a teacher. Actually, haven't you so before? Mm. But if you had had to go back to Trinidad, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have wanted to live. I would. I would. Yes, it would have been the end of me. Actually, it would have been the end of me. And I often wonder how the people I knew I went to school with who hadn't been able to go abroad for various reasons, I wonder how they made out. Uh, I haven't done any work on that. I haven't talked to to them. I'd like to find out, though. But it's a good question. Were there any other careers? I think now there are careers in politics, very serious people can become politicians. and in fact, this, this fact of political career has damaged uh, the Caribbean cricket idea because the old idea was that uh, it was an aspect of rising in the world through cricket. You rose, you rose through cricket. And then when Politics came, of course. There's nothing to do. You, 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 um, you enter the political world. You play that game, and in a way, it takes away the sport. James has written about this quite, quite well. What he hasn't written is why what he should have written, even in 1962 or 63, when he published his wonderful book about cricket, he should have written about the decline, the possible decline of of Caribbean cricket. Question near the front. Thank you. Um, so, Vidya, I was reading your book of essays the other day with the, with the essay about your trip to the Ivory Coast, and in it you said, and I wrote it down, I travelled to discover new, uh, sorry, I travelled to discover other states of mind. And I thought, I wanted to ask you, what other states of mind is it that you discover in travelling? Other states of? Other states of mind. Other states of line, what have you discovered in your travels? Other states of mind? (coughs) Of mind? Yes. Yes. Other to my own? Um, In in the essay, you, and it was very profound to me that you said, I I travel to discover other states of mind, M-I-N-D. 
and I wrote it down, and I was very interested to, to, to understand what you mean by that. What other states of mind what, what do you states find? Of, states, states of mind in some of the... other particular states of mind, for instance, when you went to In Search in Iran or, or, or different, different countries in Africa, is there anything you can encapsulate by what you meant by you went in search of different states of mind? No, I think everything is, would, would be specific. So in Iran, there'd be a specific state of mind. And, uh, well, I'll just uh, tell a wicked little story about it. Uh, I, uh, I was talking with a man in Iran on my second trip there, and I, I felt after a little while... I'm not talking to this man. He's not hearing what I'm saying. He doesn't even know what I'm saying. And then I extended this by saying, all I can do with this man is to kill him. There's so your, that's a state answer. of mind. <laughs> yes. Uh, third row here. Do you want to stand up so you can see you? Thank you. Thank you. Um, what role have women played in your professional life? And have there been any women writers you've considered to be your equal? What role have women played in your professional life? And can you name any women writers who may be your equal? Women writers? I don't think so. They're... They're different. They're quite different. Uh, I, I actually can read a piece of writing and within a paragraph or two can know whether it's by a woman or, or not a woman. Is that equal or unequal? I think unequal to me. Unequal to me. Unequal to me. Uh, what makes it unequal? Good question. But to require a lot of thought, to require quite a, a thesis now about what makes women writing different from men, the men's writing. Uh, sentimentality, the narrower view of the world. And inevitably, for a woman, it's, uh, she's not a complete master in her house. So that comes over in, the, in her writing, too. And you're not a controversialist. <laughs> <laughs> and the women who played a role in your professional life are the, was the part two question. Of course, I depend on women quite a lot. I, you know that I depend on my wife to write things down for me. Mm. I depend on her to, to read things for me. Uh, and then uh, I was very fortunate in having a, a publisher who, was very, who had a wonderful sense of things. Mm. So 
they have played a role, but not as writers, not as writers. Because this publisher, who was so good as a taster, an editor, when she became a writer, lo and behold, it's all the, the feminine tosh, you know? <laughs> we back to Jane Austen? We are back to Jane Austen. <laughs> I don't mean this in any unkind way, please. <laughs> All controversial. Right? All controversial. No. Way. No, no. No. Moving on. <laughs> Gentlemen, here. Uh, hi, I wanted to ask about the comedy aspect of your novels. Uh, to me, it always, they always, the sadness and the comedy always seem to be part of the same thing. And I wondered if the sympathy in your novels is in the comedy? Sympathy and comedy are part of the same thing. Is, is there a lot of sympathy in your comedies? Is that the gist of your... Yeah, is, it, uh, is the sympathy in your fiction in uh, the in, comedy? In the humour. Yeah, it's comic, comic in, pathos, I guess. In, is the comic pathos where you find the sympathy for your vision or for the characters? Not really, no, no, nope. no, 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 no. Question over here. Could I just ask what it was about 16th century Castilian Spanish that interested you so much when you began writing? What, was, what is it particularly about 16th century Castilian Spanish which caught your attention and influenced you? It's very hard. It's hard and nice and unyielding. Masculine? Yes, it's masculine. Mm-hmm. Uh, hi. Um, uh, as a continuation from the previous question, um, the influence of females, um, speaking from a, a young writer's perspective, what advice would you give to a young writer, in my case, a female writer? <laughs> what did you say? Well, is there any particular advice you might give to a young female writer? Just write away. That's all I can Just write. Don't give advice. Never it. give writers advice. Yeah. Writers must do their own work, follow their own minds, and something may come out of it. Um, question here. Yep. Uh, so, video, as it happens, um, I have probably read all of them. And you've been a distant rule of law. What I want to know is whether you have ever been concerned about the impact your writing would have on others. Have you ever been aware of your guru aspect of that? You have. This gentleman has read all your works. Yes. And um, is one, one asking, have you ever considered the guru-like effect that you have on admirers um, and many many of the readers globally? I added globally, but yes, that's what he said. yes, yes, yes. No, I never thought about yeah. it. No. And I, but I, I'm aware of it now, 
largely because my wife, she picks the signals up when people come to see me, and she tells me about it. Uh, I'm slightly amazed, really, because I'm not guru material. <laughs> I have nothing to tell people that way. This is my very point. You have always maintained that mass communication was a theoretical thought. You've never been interested in the volume of sales and so on. But, as it happens, your writing does impact on people. And in fact, I have discovered lots of things, lots of things about India, for example, through your writing. So therefore, it is not a question that is, you know, it's more than a whimsical sort of attempt on my part to extract the response from What matters to me is that the writer... What's the question? Yeah, the, the, writer, the writer's aspect, uh, the guru aspect, or the, or the communication aspect, have you been concerned about it, or just been that from Um... You're not interested in mass sales. Um, this gentleman believes, and he thinks you are, have gone for a, a quality of expression which has attracted um, a sense of being a, a guru-like figure. He's sort of asking again, can you explain this, or do you realise the effect you have? The answer may be no. The answer is no, I no, don't, no, I don't. No, no. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I, I can't quite see how to tease that out further. Um, but I, I think it's an unsatisfactory out. answer from your point of view. Yeah. You would like me to say yes? No. It is. It, 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 it's, it's, I mean, this is a question I've wanted to ask you for years. Well, you, you've asked it twice? <laughs> yeah. And I've got to respond. Yeah. And so I will look at all the books Thank you. Yes. The, the... <coughs> Second row. Thanks. Um, in your noble lecture, you talk about um, kind people writing to you, asking you to write about Germany or China, and um, you say that you're interested in talking about areas of darkness as a childhood subjects, that areas of darkness for you. And I just wonder, um, do you view ageing as another area of darkness? Um, as you mentioned, you might want to consider writing about that. Um, in your Nobel lecture, you talked about future areas of darkness, so Germany or China. And the question Did I talk there? <laughs> well, have you misread it? it no, I didn't say that. I have no memory of saying Kind that. people have sometimes written asking to me to go and write about Germany, say, or China. But there is a, is much good writing really about those places. Than you go. And those subjects are for other people. Those were not the areas of darkness I felt about I, I, me I as a, a child. A light comment you made saying, you know, Germany and China you haven't looked at. And the, what, do you, what the question is, questioner is asking is... Is Asia? You're asking this rather large continent. Aging, 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 aging. 
aging. Is aging going to be an area of darkness? Is aging. Aging. Not, not Asia, aging. Is aging going to be an area of darkness? It could be. What a good question. <laughs> what a good question. It could be. It could be. It could be. Lady here. You mentioned screenwriting. Have you seen any good movies recently? <laughs> what, what is it? You mentioned screenwriting. Have you seen any good films lately? I so seldom go to the cinema. You see, I actually belong to that group that feels that everything stopped in the cinema in about 1950. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it stopped when the social... We're going to come back to women, aren't we, in a minute? <laughs> <laughs> when the social side of the Hollywood thing faded away. Until then, you know, Hollywood had a very strong social side, which made the everything they did, very interesting. Uh, I have no. Yes. Um, you know, like, um, everyone knows that writing is quite solitary, um, you know, um, uh, vocation. And obviously, you are very good with the writing. Um, and uh, how do you, like, it's actually related to that question before. So, you know, the world is full of um, other passions and other um, things to pursue. And how do you deal with that? How do you persevere? And how do you um, deal with um, being solitary and persisting in your writing? How do you deal with the solitude of writing? I think people exaggerate the solitude. Uh, you need a bit of time to write, uh, but there's, there's a whole life around you. There's your family life, there's your friends, there's the life of the community. It's not as solitary as all of that. It's not as solitary. It's the romantic idea of writing. It's very solitary. I think we have room for about two more questions. So we have over here. Are you aware that you perfectly captured the, the look, the sound, the spirit of that very special place, which was the Eastern Congo in the 1970s in a bend in the river in a way which, because I lived in that part of the world, I found absolutely miraculous? Um, are you aware that in a, in a bend in the river you caught the atmosphere, the feel, the whole presence of the, of the place of East Congo, which this gentleman has, knows well. Well, I'm very glad I did, because I went to a lot of trouble to acquire it. <laughs> and it would have been a great failure if I hadn't. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Yes. Is Mike's just coming in then? Um, 
you ever been tempted to write another history after the loss of El Dorado, which was rather wonderful, and whether you ever felt you wanted to write another one? Another history book. Would you write ever another history book like The Loss of El Dorado? No. 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 Far too hard. Uh, And uh, the rewards are worthless. And uh, you write a book like that. And do you know the black folk of the Caribbean have never read it? And they always tell you they'll be writing the book. The book about the Caribbean. They'll write what you've done for two years or more. is not real. So I wouldn't do it. It was a waste of effort. It damaged me for a long time. We're going to end with one final question, Lady, there, and then... Having said that you don't consider um, female writers equivalent to male writers, could you perhaps tell us which male writers you feel might have influenced you when you were struggling to become a writer yourself, and whether you consider any male writer your equivalent? Which male writers influenced you when you were, when you were in, endeavouring your early days to be a writer? I have to tell you, none at all. <laughs> I, I, I had to do my own, I had to do my own thinking and my own, my own struggles, you know. It doesn't, don't think it's arrogant, it's, it's the way it happens sometimes. That's your truth. <laughs> thank you, thank you all very much. Well, on, that, on that note, I just think, want to thank um, you all for being here. Um, and Sevilla is willing to sign some books downstairs if anyone wishes to, to, to purchase and have him sign them. But I think we will all agree that it's not any surprise that about 300 people have turned up tonight, that there are about 20 million people who have read his books. There are about 50 volumes of different works produced. But I think we all know there is only one. Yes, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can download more Intelligent Square podcasts free on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you'd like to find out more about our events, sign up to our newsletter at intelligencesquared.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.